Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and healthcare with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Kathy Hochul released a $216 billion state budget this week that includes what the Democrats says are pandemic recovery programs with $10 billion for health care over the next several years, more money for schools and child care, as well as infrastructure projects and a larger Environmental Bond Act proposal. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul says she's able to propose the ambitious spending programs because the state is awash in cash. It's due to better-than-anticipated tax receipts, a thriving stock market, which is heavily taxed by New York, and an historic influx of federal aid. This is a once-in-a-generation opportunity to make thoughtful, purpose-driven investments in our state and in our people It'll pay dividends for decades. The governor wants to spend $10 billion more over the next five years on health care with the goal of increasing the health care workforce by 20 percent. She'd like to raise school aid by more than 5 percent. Her budget for the first time fully complies with a court order that said New York needs to spend billions more dollars on its poorest schools in order to provide an equitable education. And the governor increases her initial plan, announced earlier this month, to help families pay for child care, from 100,000 households to benefit 400,000 families. Hochul's also taking advantage of the generous federal subsidies to spend $32.8 billion on infrastructure projects, ranging from big renovations of airports and train stations to fix smaller but aggravating road problems. I've also declared war on potholes, so here's the first shot across the bow. A $1 billion plan called Operation Pop, Pave Our Potholes. And this strategy takes us from potholes to knotholes. The governor's plan would cut taxes, including $2.2 billion in property tax relief, accelerating a planned middle-class tax cut and providing $250 million to small businesses hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic. She does not propose any new tax or fee increases, but the budget does rely on more revenue from the gaming industry. Her plan calls for speeding up the timetable by one year to accept applications for three new gambling casinos, potentially opening up the lucrative market for gaming halls in New York City. Budget Director Robert Mujica says the newly authorized mobile sports betting pulled in $150 million and over 650,000 new subscribers in its first weekend alone. He projects $357 million in revenues from it in the new fiscal year. We expect that our revenues will meet our targets both this year and next year. If not exceed them, I think we are now number one in the nation. Um, in that regard. And I think what's different about our program than other programs is that 50 percent of those revenues go to uh, education. Hochul promised to be prudent with all of the spending she's proposed. She says there are no built-in recurring programs that can't be financed in future years. And she says she'd like to put more money into the state's rainy day reserve fund to total 15 percent of the state's budget by 2025. For the first time ever, with smart planning, 
New York will have no out-year gaps. Patrick Orecki with the Watchdog Group Citizens Budget Commission says while a 15 percent reserve fund is better than New York's historically low rate of 5 percent, the state should be putting even more aside. He says New York's finances are heavily dependent on taxes imposed on the stock market and on high-income earners, which are both less predictable sources of revenue. A good kind of national benchmark is 17 percent of operations, so That would be a a good target for the state to get to. 15% is close. Given New York's tax structure, we think revenues are typically more volatile, and therefore the state should actually be saving more than 17%. One item that's not in the state budget, any funding for a new stadium for Hochul's beloved Buffalo Bills football team. Budget Director Mujica says that's because the talks are still in progress. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. A new Siena College poll finds a majority of New Yorkers believe the state of race relations is poor. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas with that story. The annual survey found New Yorkers' overall view of race relations changed little in a year. 72% of New Yorkers still say people of color face racial discrimination. But 52% of those polled say minority New Yorkers have the same opportunities to succeed as white New Yorkers, while 41% disagree. Siena Poll spokesman Steve Greenberg says there are broad differences when responses are broken down by political party affiliation, race, and gender. Democrats, by a 54 to 39% margin, say that minorities don't have the same opportunities to succeed as white New Yorkers. However, 71% of Republicans and 59% of independents say they do. Um, When we look at it by race, 58% of white voters and 55% of Latino voters say that minorities do have the same opportunities to succeed compared to 71% of black voters who say they do not. Men, by a nearly two-to-one margin, 60% to 35%, say minorities do have the same opportunities as whites. Women, equally divided, 46% to 46%. Dr. Alice Green, executive director of the Center for Law and Justice in Albany, questions the numbers, cautioning the poll reflects the opinions of registered voters perhaps not including those most directly impacted by discrimination and poverty. 52% say that blacks and whites have the same opportunities, yet we see that there's a sizable majority that say that discrimination still exists. So how do you reconcile those two things? And I think one is we have to recognize that there is, you know, racism and discrimination that would in turn suggest a difference in opportunity. So on one hand, you're saying that people are saying that they have the same opportunities, but then they, they're saying that discrimination still exists. Activist Lukey Forbes says the poll holds up a mirror to society. It shows us exactly how divided we are. So I wasn't surprised to see that 52% of the voters believe that most African Americans or my, minorities have the same opportunities as whites. And I'm not surprised at all because, again, as an activist in the community, I've been stressing the fact that racism is still prevalent. It is something that still exists, and it's something that also happens subconsciously 
So individuals in privilege don't even realize that they have privilege. Greenberg notes that 36% of those surveyed think race relations in New York are either excellent or good. 60% say fair or poor. Those numbers are actually, even though they're underwater, are up a little bit from last year when it was 31 positive, 64 negative. Two-thirds of New Yorkers continue to believe that minorities, African Americans, Latinos, Asians, experience discrimination in New York State. And that is true across the board. 92% of black voters, 87% of Latinos, and 67% of white voters say that minorities experience discrimination. By a 71 to 20% margin, voters say religious minorities including Jews, Muslims, and others who live in New York experience discrimination based on their religious affiliation, compared to 69 to 22% last year. There's a link to the poll at wamc.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartalk. Alan? New York Attorney General Letitia James said in court papers that Donald Trump's company had engaged in fraudulent or misleading practices to bolster its bottom line. Filing marked the first time that the Attorney General's office leveled such specific accusations against a former president's company. Where does this all go, Alan? David, we've been hearing this kind of thing for months and maybe even years now. People make these accusations. We, of course, all knew about this valuation of the property and whether or not he was paying his fair share of taxes. But it doesn't seem like it goes anywhere. You get these spate of accusations. You hear from the attorney general. You hear from other people. There are arrests made of Trump people, but nothing seems to phase this president as it goes on. And he does make sounds as if he's going to run again, and there are indications he could win. It's unbelievable, but it is so. Despite all of these accusations, it doesn't seem as if anything happens. So if the common man, you or I or anybody, were to commit these things, you would hear from the IRS really fast. In fact, that does not happen with this guy. So the question then becomes, and it was certainly true while he was president, is this one man above the law? Was he above the law when he was president? Well, it sure seemed that way to so many people. And it doesn't seem as if it's getting any clearer now that appropriate actions will be taken by those people who are supposed to bring these actions. There you go. Well, New York's campaign filing dollar amounts are out, Alan. And mm. former Governor Andrew Cuomo has $16 million in campaign cash and no campaign, says the New York Times, with the question, what now? Well, I think, as we know about Andrew, that if he has a chance... He will take it. Why should he go and skulk and hide under a bushel basket? He won't do it. We know him. We know his history. We know that if he can, I've given him a nickname, which others have now picked up, which is Tough Guy Andrew. He will. He has nothing to really lose. He has a 
brilliant lawyer, Rita Glavin, and he has a good mouthpiece and my former student, Rich, as a party. And, you know, he'll push forward. Whether he's got the horses to make it work for him, I don't know. We do see polling in which the present governor, Hochul, is popular with the people. She certainly has done a competent job. And I think they had had enough of Andrewism. So I don't know how he can do it, but I wouldn't put it past him to try it. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartog. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. After mobile sports betting began in New York earlier this month, licensed operators are reporting positive results and planning how to expand further. The Legislative Gazette's Ashley Hupfel with more. New York first allowed sports betting in the state's four upstate casinos in 2019. It ultimately followed the lead of neighboring states like New Jersey, Connecticut, and Pennsylvania, when it legalized mobile sports betting last year. New York State Senator Joe Adabo Jr., chair of the Committee on Racing, Gaming, and Wagering, is a Democrat from Queens. He says the move is keeping revenue from migrating out of New York. This past weekend, uh, just it, it proved something that New Yorkers are waiting to use a product in New York because the volume was such so great that I believe Caesars app crashed. The State Gaming Commission approved four mobile apps to launch on the eve of the NFL playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook, FanDuel, Caesars Sportsbook, and Bet Rivers. MGM Resorts, Empire City Casino, and Madison Square Garden launched its mobile app, BetMGM, Monday. Four additional operators are still awaiting approval. BallyBet, Win Interactive, Resorts WorldBet, and PointsBet. Adabo wants to expedite their approval. This is uh, something that if we don't do anything, it happens anyway in the year 2023. So we're looking to expedite it by at least one year. But by expediting it, we get to realize in the New York State budget a revenue of roughly $2 billion. Um, This is something that, again, with the licenses being expedited and activated, we're going to recognize a significant amount of revenue, educational funds, and jobs here. So this is something that we should talk about in the budget because, again, we're still within the negative throes of the fiscal impact of the COVID pandemic. According to Rush Street Interactive, NFL betting accounted for 49 percent of the bets in the first 24 hours after going live, ahead of NBA and NCAA basketball wagering. If you've been on social media, used a streaming service, and watched sports in recent days, you've probably noticed the barrage of ads and promotional offers tied to the launch. CEO Richard Schwartz with Rush Street Interactive, which owns the Bet Rivers app, says mobile sports betting is becoming an increasingly popular entertainment source and was overdue in New York. I think there is some frustration from fans that would like to do it, and clearly you saw a lot of traffic visiting New Jersey of people in New York instead of being able to bet from the convenience of their homes in New York. So you had a lot of frustration. There's some rumors and sort of some conjecture that 
15 to 20 percent of the revenues generated from New Jersey were actually generated from New Yorkers that now that New York's legal with mobile sports betting will will reclaim much of those revenues. So I think there's a lot of interest in this activity because it is highly regulated, highly safe, as an extra level of engagement and fun for the user experience that people wanted it sooner than it arrived. Elisa Richardson with BetMGM agrees, saying some people traveled across state lines just to bet. Our office is headquartered in Jersey City right on the water, and there would be people just taking the ferry over from New York, placing a bet, and you'd see them get right back on the ferry. <laughs> um, people driving over the bridge, you know? So it, it definitely is happening. If, if you have a state like New York that's close to other states, especially a state like New Jersey where sports betting was first legalized, they should say that people are going to, you know, cross over and bet. Not all New Yorkers are hailing the approval of mobile sports betting. Northeast Problem Gambling Resource Center team leader Brandy Richards says with easier access to gambling comes an increase in problem gambling. There's a wide variety of of groups that we're concerned about, you know, individuals, you know, even a, a younger generation of individuals who may not have been attracted to gambling before. This may be something, you know, with the marketing and the promotions, it may be something that they turn to. Um, and it has the probability to really develop into a problem very quickly. Looking forward, businesses and state lawmakers like Adabo are hoping to expand mobile gambling even further. Another discussion I will have in the budget is about how to incorporate uh, horse racing into the mobile sports betting so that we can help the horse racing industry and that a New Yorker would be able to bet any of the major sports as well as horse racing. So we're going to talk about that too as well in the budgetary process. Mobile wagering on horse racing has been legal in New York for years. As part of the deal to legalize mobile sports betting, the New York Gaming Commission requires any party that runs a betting app to add protections and limits on betting. For example, Caesar Sportsbook allows a player to set a maximum bet limit for a selected time frame, such as daily or weekly. Richards applauded any effort to help problem gambling. I think there's a level of privacy that goes along with that. You know, it's something we often call gambling the hidden addiction because it's something that's easily to hide, right? There's no um, blood test, there's no, uh, there's no smell, there's no, you know, something that you can openly and readily see on somebody. So it's something that's very easily to, easy to hide. And I think, you know, our concern is that with the, the ease of access and being able to, you know, it, people can just bet on their phones at home, they can do it at work, they can do it in the car, they can, you know, so again, that accessibility is, is really huge for us. Richards has already seen a spike in calls linked to mobile sports betting. She says research shows sports bettors tend to have higher rates of gambling problems, nearly twice as high as those who don't bet on games. Richardson says MGM would be interested in expanding to full legalized gambling through mobile apps. People love going to casinos. That's never going to change. But if you're at home, I don't know if you've ever played an online game, but it's really fun. There's an entertainment aspect there. It's, yeah, something engaging you can do on your phone and... You know, whether you're betting small or big, there's, there's an excitement there for sure. This is Ashley Hupful. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. In April 2020, New York State closed the Beekmantown Gateway Center on Interstate 87. 
Ten miles south of the Canadian border, it had been the first state tourism centre that international travellers would encounter after crossing the border. Regional economic tourism and political leaders are calling on New York State to reopen what they call a critical economic and tourism resource. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. Cars and trucks traveling south on Interstate 87 occasionally pull into the Beekmantown Gateway Center to park or use the restrooms, the only part of the facility that remains open. As the governor and legislature prepare the next state budget, a group of tourism, business and political leaders in the North Country are seeking restoration of funds for the Highway Rest Stop and Information Center. Standing outside the facility, 115th District Democratic Assemblyman D. Billy Jones said the center is an important part of the region's hospitality sector. This is the first stop that our friends and neighbors of the north are going to see to get information all over the region. We need to make sure this opens back up for our tourism partners and there's not another stop, rest stop, for 65 miles, 63 miles to be precise, south of here. So this is the gateway for our friends and neighbors of the north, our gateway for many of our Canadian friends to all of New York State and the North Country. So we need to get this back open. North Country Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Gary Douglas said with anticipated restoration of travel by Canadians this summer, it's crucial to reopen the information center. Douglas would also like the state to rebuild the Welcome Center, which opened in 1995. All over the state there are these Welcome and Gateway Centers. The state has invested many millions of dollars over the last 10-15 years in building entirely new ones across the state. In the Northway, in the northbound direction, the state spent great uh, amounts of money to build new Welcome Centers at Clifton Park and Queensbury for northbound travel, and we're happy they did that. There's a lot of southbound traffic here, too, and this is one of the state's most important gateways for visitation, particularly from our Canadian friends. We need this center reopened. Then we also need the planning to start for a new center here to replace this outdated facility. Adirondack Frontier is the Franklin County Economic Development Corporation's marketing division. CEO Jeremy Evans worked at the Welcome Center when he was in college and says it's a crucial tourism resource. Having met with so many people that came across the border, many Americans too who were just traveling and they didn't know New York State, they didn't know the Adirondack region and from first-hand experience, I know that the, the folks that worked here are true ambassadors on behalf of the region and on behalf of New York State, and it was a great partnership. It's time to bring those ambassadors back on behalf of the Adirondack region and on behalf of New York State. The Adirondack Regional Tourism Council operated the Gateway Center under a $196,000 contract with the state. When operational, the council reports the Gateway Center averaged 103,000 visitors annually and distributed brochures from about 200 businesses and organizations. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. Town of Bethlehem police have solved a cold case nearly 41 years after human remains were discovered in a farmer's field. Modern genealogical forensic technology is being credited with helping solve the case, as the Legislative Gazette's Lucas Willard reports. 
For more than four decades, the identity of human remains discovered in a field was unknown. Commander Adam Hornick is a member of the Bethlehem Police Department. Today's announcement is both symbolic and historical in many ways. On April 3, 1981, the Bethlehem Police Department responded to the Vadney Farm in Delmar for a reported discovery of markedly decomposed human remains, which were found at the edge of a farmer's field adjacent to the property of this very park that we're giving this announcement at today. For years, an intensive investigation went nowhere. The body was so decomposed, a cause of death could not be determined. What's more, a flood at the Bethlehem Police Station in the early 90s destroyed the case file. The police department decided to reopen the case in 2013 with just two sheets of paper. Hornick led the investigation. Through rebuilding the case file, we called on resources of many agencies and entities in and around the capital region. After a few years of investigation, our agency was able to locate the jawbones of the decedent. The jawbones were found in a dentist's office in Ballston Lake in Saratoga County. Returned after 36 years, a dental chart was completed and it was determined the bones matched that of the unidentified body. Then they were sent for further analysis and a DNA profile was created using advanced technology. Shortly after this, with the approval of the Albany County District Attorney's Office, we submitted the DNA profile for a familiar DNA search in the state database. We learned that the request was rejected by the state as the unidentified human's remains policy did not allow for submission of evidence to identify victims, but only for evidence that had been left behind at a scene. Bethlehem Police was determined and did not give up. So the police department began a media push in 2019. And eventually, the state's DNA familial search law that served as a roadblock was changed. However, still unable to submit the case, the police transferred DNA samples to the FBI's Investigative Genetic Genealogy Unit in Melville, New York. With the FBI's help, a lead emerged. Two potential family members of John Doe were found. The DNA of the aunt and the cousin were sent to the New York State Police Forensic Identification Center. And based on all of this, we can prove, based on all testimony and physical evidence today, that the confirmed two DNA samples that the body found on April 3rd, 1981, buried in Grayson Cemetery several days later, is no longer John Doe, but is in fact Franklin Feldman. Based on testimony from the relatives and the objects found on Feldman's body, the man was determined to be transient with little contact with his family. Nobody reported him missing after he died. Word that Feldman's identity would be announced drew some curious neighbors to the police press conference Thursday. Yes. This was my husband's father's farm, this whole park. And uh, we don't even remember this happening. Shirley Winnie lives just up the road. She recalls the land where the park is now was once a place where kids built forts. My kids had built one, and uh, uh, there was one behind the school. There were a bunch of forts out in the field, and this homeless guy probably was residing in them, I would assume. Bethlehem Police Chief Gina Cochera called Thursday's announcement a major accomplishment in a 41-year mystery. Cold cases are unique, and while sometimes they appear to be forgotten about, they're always been worked on and can... Um, we can find closure to all those that are involved, which I think is uh, paramount to this. For WAMC News, I'm Lucas Willard. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2203. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.